female folk singer is dead after she was attacked by a pair of coyotes. What is the monkey doing? Tell me what's going on. He ripped her face off! We actually have a trainer in the water with one of our whales. If I show weakness, if I retreat, I may be hurt, I may be killed. Baby Azaria Chamberlain was taken by a dingo back in 1980. Hey everybody, welcome back to Man It is the only true crime podcast on the entire internet where all the killers are real animals. Whether it's biting, scratchings, maulings or clawings, you know we're here to talk about it. It is a beautiful rainy day here in not sunny Newcastle, uh, so you might hear some pitter-patter from the roof above me, but um, I think it might add to the atmosphere of, of this episode. And it kind of suits it too. We're talking about New York a lot today. New York, I don't know, I've never actually been to New York. I always imagine it's kind of like a rainy, a rainy kind of place. Um, but no, actually, now that I think about it, I, I don't actually know if I've ever seen New York rain in a movie. That's a weird bit of trivia, isn't it? They've never shown New York in the rain in a movie. <laughs> It's almost too hard to believe. It's almost like it's a fake fact that I made up to compensate for the fact that I embarrassingly suggested that New York is famous for rain. That's not true. I think that's, that's Seattle, isn't it? There is a city in America that's famous for rain. I think it is Seattle. If you're from a rainy place in the US, give me a, give me a shout and let me know. Um, London, also very rainy and very ratty and that of course is what we're talking about today in today's episode entitled rat attack or rats attack or rat attacks i can't remember what we're doing it doesn't really matter i hope you clicked on it anyway i hope whatever it was it was interesting enough for you to click on and listen yeah we're talking about rats today um initially we were going to have a different episode today i was going to do a story on um, bear attacks in glacier national park uh but that uh is proving to be quite a information dense subject um so i am taking my sweet time with it i don't want to rush it we don't want another tiger of chowga situation where i you know I, i dive balls first into the thing and then realize halfway through that it's it's a lot more um in depth than I had planned for a single episode. So I'm going to take my time with that, do the right research and get back to you with that episode as soon as I can. Um, so look out for that one. It should be a good one. Uh, but today, something that I wanted to talk about that I didn't know I wanted to talk about was rats. Um, They've kind of been low on the priority list for this podcast for a while, but on TikTok this week, and I don't know if it's just a me thing, if it's my algorithm showing it to me more, it seems that the rats in New York are becoming bigger and bigger problem and uh, like I, I know we do have a lot of listeners from the US I don't know how many specifically live in New York City and if you do live in New York City I'd love for you to like get in touch with me and tell me what your experience is it seems to me that the rat problem has just exploded in New York obviously there have always been rats there um, but it, it just it, from what I'm seeing it just seems like the rat I saw a rat that honestly looked like the size of a beaver or like a or, or a small dog someone was telling me it was a musk rat but I don't know what like do musk rats live in New York City are they native to the area I don't I, I have no idea so we are talking rats today um pretty gross animals for a lot of people some people think they're cute I kind of fall into the middle section where um I, I think they're cute as long as they're not near me um but if I had a rat scurry along my foot in the subway I think I'd probably I'd probably f- crash the subway I would do a, a Spider-Man PS4 and yank the the train tracks up and make the train fly through the ground very niche uh statement I made. What am I I saying? Very weird reference. I don't know if you've played (laughs) Spider-Man. 
Oh, I did have a message from a from a listener though, who because I mentioned a few weeks ago I was going to be playing Spider Man Two when it came out, um, and I have been, and I one hundred percent of that bitch, and now I'm waiting for New Game Plus. But I did have a um, a listener message me, and apparent uh, this is a spoiler alert for anyone playing the game, so you have time to skip forward a minute. Um, he was saying that there's actually a Savo's man eating lions reference in Spider Man Two, and I um I had to go back and play it again, and there is uh Craven talks about, or, or sorry, some of Craven's goons are talking about how Craven stalked uh, a lion that killed a bunch of people working on a railway line, and he killed the lion. It's obviously not. It couldn't be the unless Craven's super old. Maybe he is. It can't be the actual story because that story is from like nearly a hundred years ago. Um, but it was a cool little Easter egg for all us Manita fans there. So I don't. I wonder if anyone else picked up on that. I actually missed it the first time. I must have just killed those goons really quickly and didn't hear that interaction. But apparently it was there. Um, so yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? Not not Craven the Hunter. We're talking about rats. Oh yeah, that ratty ratty bish. Uh, let's. <laughs> Let's just jump into it. I've been waffling on for far too long. Sit back, and if you don't like rats, get ready for a panic attack as we talk about rat attacks. In the intricate tapestry of the natural world, humans and rats share a peculiar and often misunderstood relationship. Spanning centuries and continents, this intricate dance between two vastly different species is characterized by a blend of fear, fascination, and coexistence. From ancient civilizations to modern metropolises, the journey of humans and rats has been intertwined, shaping each other's destinies in unexpected ways. To truly grasp the depth of the human-rat relationship, one must delve into history. Now, rats are believed to have originated in Asia, stealthily stowed away on ships, embarking on voyages that would introduce them to new lands and cultures. As humans expanded their territories, rats followed suit, making their presence known in both agricultural fields and urban centres. Throughout history, rats have played multifaceted roles. In subcultures, they were revered as symbols of resourcefulness and adaptivity, while in others, they were feared as carriers of disease, leading to devastational panic, leaving to devastating pandemics like the Black Death in the 14th century. Despite the fear, humans just couldn't ignore the remarkable intelligence and social behaviors exhibited by these rodents, sparking scientific curiosity that continues to this day. In the sprawling concrete jungles of modern cities, rats have found a niche alongside humans. Drawn to the abundant food supply and shelter, they thrive in the hidden corners and alleys of urban, la urban landscapes. Their uncanny ability to adapt to changing environments has made them resilient, leading to a delicate balance between control and coexistence. Humans, in their quest for hygiene and safety, have developed various, various methods to manage rat populations. From traps and poisons to advanced pest control techniques, efforts have been made to mitigate the challenges posed by these resilient creatures. Yet, rats continue to outsmart even the most sophisticated methods, demonstrating their tenacity and survival skills. Beyond the realm of urban living, rats have made significant contributions to scientific research. These remarkable rodents, with their genetic similarities to humans, have become valuable subjects in laboratories worldwide. 
Their use in medical experiments has paved the way for groundbreaking discoveries, leading to advancements in fields such as psychology, neuroscience, and pharmacology. Rats have been instrumental in studies related to addiction, learning, memory, and various neurological disorders. Their ability to navigate mazes, exhibit empathy, and display complex social behaviors has provided invaluable insights into the human mind. In these controlled environments, the line between friend and test subject blurs, emphasizing the complexity of the human-rat relationship. The enigmatic nature of rats has also captured the human imagination, finding its way into art, literature, and folklore. In some cultures, rats are symbols of fertility, wealth, and prosperity, while in others they represent cunning and deceit. Their presence in myths and stories reflects the intricate blend of fear and respect that characterizes human perception of these creatures. Now, artists and writers have all drawn inspiration from rats, portraying them as both heroes and villains in their creation. From Aesop's fables to modern literature, rats have been portrayed as clever protagonists navigating the challenges of life. Their symbolism, rooted in cultural beliefs and experiences, continues to evolve, shaping the narratives that define our relationship with them. In contemporary society, rats have found their way into the household as pets, challenging traditional perceptions and blurring lines between domestication and wilderness. Pet rats, with their playful antics and affectionate nature, have become beloved companions for many, challenging the stigma associated with their wild counterparts. However, the duality of rats as pets and pests raises ethical questions. As individuals welcome these rodents into their homes, the fine line between affection and pragmatism becomes apparent. The same species that brings joy to pet owners can wreak havoc in agricultural fields, leading to conflicts between humans and rats on a broader scale. This intricate dance between humans and rats, understanding is the key to achieving harmony. Acknowledging the intelligence and adaptivity of rats while addressing the challenges they pose can pave the way for innovative solutions. Integrated pest management, emphasizing humane techniques and environmental awareness offers a holistic approach to managing rat populations without resorting to harmful methods. Education also plays a vital role in reshaping human perceptions of rats. By fostering awareness about their behaviours, ecological significance and contributions to scientific research, society can appreciate the complexity of this relationship. Encouraging responsible pet ownership and promoting ethical treatment of pests are a step towards fostering a more compassionate coexistence. It's many rivers that feed the sea of rats. There's no instant rat pellet that's going to solve this problem. You have to build dams in every area. We needed a maestro. We needed someone that understood, had the track record. Rat mitigation is more than a quality of life issue. Rats are the symptom of systemic issues, including sanitation, health, housing, and economic justice. You can't just deal with one part of the problem and call it a day. We need system-wide solutions, strong leadership, and an engaged population to join the efforts. As New York City's first director of rodent mitigation, I will bring a science and systems-based approach to reducing New York City's rat population. You'll be seeing a lot of me, and a lot less rats. <laughs> so you may have heard, like New York has a new rat czar. And when I first saw that headline, I was like, wait, wait, 
New York has a rat czar. What is a, what's a rat czar? That's crazy. Well, New York does have a new rat star, and apparently it's the first of its kind, and the importance of her role cannot be overstated. New York is infested with rats. Now, everyone in New York apparently has a rat story to share. Most New Yorkers have a constant but transient contact with rats, a nighttime jump scare from rodents skittering across the sidewalk. During some commuters' walk home, they can hear rats scrambling in subway stations or expertly dodging third rails. However, some New Yorkers have been involved in real-life rat horror stories, occurrences that both personal that are both personal and life-changing. They've locked their gazes with the adversary and even made eye contact. Mayor Eric Adams has entrusted rat reduction efforts to Kathleen Karate, New York City's new director of rodent mitigation, and not a moment too soon. New York is seeing a record number of rats, and there is no indication that that trend is going to reverse anytime soon. If you ask New Yorkers for their most terrifying stories, the magnitude of Miss Karate's task becomes unsettlingly evident. One upper side, sorry, one west side, one upper west side mother claims that her child rolled over a mostly dead rat with her rolling pin. <laughs> with wait, what? One Upper West Side mother claims that her kid rolled over a mostly dead rat with her rolling backpack on her way to school. Ben Regenspan, 37 years old, was residing in a basement flat in Manhattan's Nolita neighborhood when he became uh, one of the unlucky New Yorkers to witness a rat emerge from the toilet late one night. Mr. Regenspan, a software developer, was brushing his teeth when he heard a splash. He, quote, screamed, flushed, and swam away. <laughs> he poured a bunch of cleaning products in and flushed once more, he explained. He never saw the rat again, but he was traumatized and tried his hardest not to sit on that toilet again, instead utilizing the commode at work. He didn't spend much time in the apartment. Once he moved out, he lost his acute fear, Mr. Regenspan explained, but I still always close the lid on my toilet. Spencer Morin, a 34-year-old editor and director, was also visited by a toilet rat while living in Astoria a few years ago. Quote, I grabbed the closest weight I could find, a copy of George Orwell's autobiography, and set it on top of my toilet to make sure the little, chief, the little chef wouldn't escape, Mr. Morin went on to say. He spent 30 minutes spraying bleach into the toilet and flushing, spraying and flushing, spraying and flushing, and finally, the rat took a nap and swam back to the netherworld. Pizza Rat, a famous cunning rodent who dragged a large New York-style slice down the dirty steps of a subway station a few years ago, entertained people all over the world by serving as an unofficial ambassador to New York City Transit. But... Kristen Schofield's encounter with on board an up but Kristen Schofield's encounter on board an uptown two subway car one night at about 10 p.m. was less delightful. Miss Schofield explained that she was just minding her own business on the train when a rat wandered over my foot, and he was not in a rush. I shrieked because you know it's a rat walking across my foot. To make matters worse, Miss Schofield, a writer, was sitting across from a clique of quote-unquote cool teens, she said, who all laughed at her. It was a dual horror situation of cool teenagers making fun of you and a rat on your foot. She got off at the next stop. While Miss Schofield was able to leave the rat behind, others have not been so lucky. 
Quote, I discovered rat feces in my actual bed and in my bathtub, said Rachel Bryant, 26 years old, who documented the rat infestation of her Chinatown apartment building on TikTok. At one point, eight dead rats were discovered in the building's walls. The rodents were terrible foreshadowings of a grand disaster. Her building's exterior fell in March. Red Cross evacuated us, she explained. In her instance, the rodents were a symptom of a larger issue, and humans were ultimately to blame. Neglect, mismanagement, and bad upkeep of buildings. Centuries ago, humans brought the Norwegian rat to the shores of the city. And humans, filling every trash can with delicious garbage, have continued to create a perfect condition for rats to thrive. Despite New York's frequent attacks on rats, including baits, poisons, and various traps, it is extremely rare to hear of rats fighting back. It's unusual, but not unheard of. Andrew McMillan, a 34-year-old product manager, was once bitten by a rat. Last year, he was walking his dog, named Islay, through Fort Green Park when she sniffed something in the vegetation and emerged with a rat in her teeth. I, quote, I tried to open her jaws to get the rat out in some harebrained attempt to save the rat, he added. Mr. McMillan was bleeding heavily after the rodent bit his finger. Apparently, rats have teeth that are like broken glass, he went on to say. I can indeed confirm this is true. He went to an urgent care doctor, was given antibiotics, and the next day someone from the Department of Health knocked on his door. They didn't announce their arrival, they just kind of showed up, he explained. The official was perplexed. Apparently, only 100 people are bitten by rats in New York City every year, Mr. McMillan explained, which explains why everyone I've told about it is in some kind of disbelief. I suppose that also qualifies me for membership of one of New York City's most exclusive clubs, he says. And the most frightening thing a rat can do, or one of the most frightening things a rat can do, is to turn on one of its own. Jen Savage, 40 years old, witnessed this two years ago in Carroll Gardens. She and her friend Miguel were drinking beer on her stoop when she heard a screeching and screaming from the street. Miss Savage stood up to have a look and noticed two rats arguing. <laughs> they were f arguing, it's probably not the right word, fighting, probably. They were fighting each other, said Miss Savage, who works in advertising sales, and then one rat killed the other, right in front of my eyes. More slaughter came before she could even grasp what had happened. About 20 milliseconds later, a city bike speeds by and kills the murderer, the rat murderer. She described the image as like a rat Romeo and Juliet scene, where they were laid across each other's bodies bloodily. Could it be that we need an army of rats to defeat the rats? Is it possible to overcome the rats of New York City? Miss Schofield was skeptical. The rats are like cockroaches, she says. They're going to outlast us, right? After all is said and done, they will have the will to survive. And if you just pop onto TikTok or YouTube and you just search up New York rats, you're going to find dozens of videos of rats, uh, massive rats scurrying across the streets, walking over people's feet. I saw a video, and this one actually disgusted me. Not a lot really disgusted me, but this one did, of a sleeping man on the, on the um, train or the subway. I have to assume he was inebriated. And a rat, right? A rat, God. A rat was sitting on his chest, eating, like... I, I couldn't really tell, either eating boogers out of his nose or like 
drinking his saliva. Ugh, saliva. That is disgusting to even say out loud, but yeah, that's what was happening. There's a lot of, of gross rat stuff going on. Um, and New York isn't the only city that struggles with this. Almost all urban areas are plagued with rats. London is the one place I know that has more rats than New York City, uh, as far as I'm aware. I could be completely wrong, but my understanding is that London still has more rats. And I heard a statistic, and I'm probably wrong, but for every one person that lives in London, there's like five rats for them. Um, there, there are millions living there. And I would assume it's a very similar number in New York as well. For every one person, there's probably a couple, couple rats. Wouldn't that be nice if everyone just got a free rat? Not really. Um, you can just take rats, by the way. I'm pretty sure you can just grab a rat from the street and make, take it home, and it can be your pet. You can do that with pigeons in the park, too, I, I learned the other day. It's not a, is it illegal to just go to the park and take the ducks? <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's a funny little premise, but the next story that we're going to talk about is not funny at all. And I'm going to give you a warning ahead of time. This story does involve the death of a child. In fact, it involves the death of a baby. This is New York's first documented uh, death by rat. Um, and it comes from a New Yorker article from April 27th in 1860. So over a hundred years, a long time ago. I don't want to do the math. Lots of years ago. Um, the headline boiled down essentially is a rat eats a baby. Uh, and this happened in a hospital. So you can get the sense that, yeah, New York has always had problems with rats. Um, and back then, at, le at least now, no babies are being eaten by rats as far as aware. So I'm going to read you the article. Um, it is written from 1860. So some of the uh, language is really interesting. You might have heard it before. I certainly hadn't heard a lot of these phrases before. Um, and it is a kind of... Um, it is weird to, to read it out in the tongue of a person from 100 years ago. All the people involved in this story are obviously dead now. So, um, yeah, but yeah, this is your warning that there there is the death of a child going to be discussed. So, um, there you go. So, I'm going to read the article in full. I'm not going to make any edits, uh, and I'm going to do my best. So, here we go. The commissioners of the Department of Public Charities and Correction have promptly investigated the case of the infant Mary Connor, which was mutilated by rats at a Bellevue hospital, and the death of which is supposed to have resulted from that cause. Messrs. Deeper, Janelle, Bell and Nicholson spent several hours at the hospital night before last, examined all who had anything to relate with regard to the occurrence, and had several of the alleged culprits or members of the numerous family before them. For the rats at Bellevue are a bold and reckless race, and do not hesitate to come forth from their hiding places and scamper about, even in the presence of men in high position. <laughs> I'm going to just... This is my own little side note, but it's... <laughs> is he trying to say that the rats should care about, like, the social status of the men that are in the building? Like, oh, no, 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 that's not an orderly. That's a doctor, Remy the rat. Let's go back into the kitchen. Anyway, continuing on. The evidence thus collated was arranged in due form and presented before the commissioners at their meeting yesterday afternoon. The details are uninteresting and unfit for publication. The leading points are as follows. Mary Connor went to the hospital last Sunday afternoon, sent thither by the superintendent of outdoor poor, Mr. Kellogg. The, the superintendent of outdoor poor, is that like the minister for like homelessness or something? That's a really weird thing to say. The superintendent of outdoor poor, Mr. Kellogg, 
She was placed in the waiting room where about 20 women slept, and by 9 o'clock all had retired. During the evening, she had made no complaints and gave no intimation of her coming confinement. In her testimony, she declares that she did not expect it so soon. At six o'clock in the morning, Dr. Haddon, the house physician, was summoned to attend her and found the newborn infant lying partially under the body of her mother, dead and cold. Quote, The nose of the child, upper lip, and a portion of the cheeks seemed to have been eaten off, says Dr. Haddon. The toes of the left foot and a portion of the foot were eaten off, or apparently so. The lacerated portions were covered with sand and dirt. He states that the abdomen of the child was flattened out by the weight of her mother. He is quite sure that the gnawing was done after the death of the child, and believes that it was done by rats. The mother was feeble and listless, hardly accountable, the doctor thinks, for anything she might say. She declared that it did not make any difference to her whether the child was dead or alive. From her testimony, we learn that she is a servant girl, 31 years old, born in Dublin, has lived eight years in the country and is unmarried. She perceived on the night in question that there was a cat or rat on the bed, but could not tell which. She was either asleep or in a fainting condition for most of the night. When these facts had been read, the president, Mr. Mr. Draper, said he had not received any communication from the warden of the hospital in relation to the matter. Mr. Nicholson asked whether the president had taken any action in the case. The president answered that he had sent a letter to the warden stating that he had heard and telling him to see that a sufficient watch was kept on the various wards to prevent any unfortunate occurrence in the future which watchfulness could prevent. The board confirmed the action of the president. Mr. Grinnell said he knew nothing of the occurrence until he read it in the newspapers. He had learned that there had not been any efforts for the examination of rats made for some years. He had been so informed by Mr. Daly, the warden. The president then presented propositions from several rat exterminators, offering to relieve Bellevue Hospital from the rats. The propositions were referred to the Committee of the Whole with power. After the passage of a resolution to meet every Thursday at 3.30pm, the board adjourned. Bellevue Hospital is completely overrun with rats. Our reporter yesterday made the acquaintance of several, several of them there. They are large wharf rats, and their presence there in such numbers is attributed to the con uh, conti contiguity of the East River. The hospital, most of our readers are aware, was erected nearly 50 years ago on a site which is bounded by 1st Avenue, 26th and 28th Streets, and the water. The main building stands on land of natural conformation, but the new wing, in which are the apartments for females, is supported on piles driven into, quote, made land. From the hospital through this, quote, made land, everybody knows how it is made, by piling dirt on top of rubbish and loose stones. Jesus. Five sewers carry off all that is waste-worthy and empty it into the river. And by these sewers, the vile, gregarious, amphibious, and nomadic vermin, swimming in crowds from place to place, have been induced stop to build their nests in the subterranean of loose stones or to burrow in the grassy banks near the waterside. 
It must be borne in mind that these creatures are not the common rats that infest private dwelling, but monsters that devour those lesser mischief makers, inhabit about wharves and stone houses and granaries, will on occasions dive into the water and glide swiftly through it, and of, the, uh, of whose exploits we have heard in more thrilling tales of the 19th century than in sober matter-of-fact narrative. In the vicinity of hospitals near the water, there are always, they are always to be found. Blackwell's Island swarms with them, and they have been inmates of Bellevue since a period of which the memory of man runneth not to the contrary. Unsuccessful efforts have been made from time to time to drive them out or to destroy them. Six years ago, thousands of them were poisoned, and the place got in such bad order in consequence that at one time it was almost determined to abandon it. The unsavory remains of the dead enemies of the institution were, however, removed, but the building was since again alive, in a very brief period, with their successors. Since then, many efforts upon their lives with arsenic, strychnine, terrier, and uh, grimalkin have been made with various success, but the water rat is exceedingly prolific." A workman employed at the hospital informed us that a day or two ago, he found a nest in which there were two old rats with a family of 18 little ones. And at another time, a litter of 16 was turned up with his spade. Where one has fallen, dozens have sprung up to take its place. Twelve dozen of traps a while ago were sprung upon a host of them, but after two or three such experiments, the survivors found the trick of it, and the bait was left untouched. In the interior of the edifice, you can find rat holes at every corner. In the female ward, the rats at the night time run in swarms. There are fewer of them in the male wards, but they are plentiful, and in the private apartments of the main building, those employed in the institution go to bed with a broomstick at hand, so that they may repel them from when they grow too familiar. This sounds like fiction, but we are assured it is true. Myriads swarm at the waterside after nightfall crawl through the sewer and enter the houses. In a bathtub last Monday, 40 rats were caught. The vermin have full possession of the building, and if, without reconstructing its interior entirely, they are removed, it will be more than amazing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so that's a really terrifying story, obviously, that that baby was eaten by rats. Not killed by rats, I guess, technically, so it's not a death by rat. Um, it from my understanding of the story, a homeless woman with a baby was uh, found on the street, told to go to hospital for the infant's uh, safety, I guess. And during the night, the mother, who I'm, I have to assume was either sick or under the influence of some narcotic or alcohol, uh, fell asleep or passed out on the baby, killing it. And in the night, a rat or rats um, partially ate the baby. Yeah. So that's very, obviously very sad. And the latter half of that story just goes into how much of an issue rats were, probably not just in that hospital, but in all of New York at that time. And it seems like we are getting to a point, or New York is getting to a point, I should say, where the rats' population is swarming, and uh, something needs to be done. So that's why this new rat czar has been put into place. Um, but New York is obviously not the only place rats have featured in history. Of course, rats were, you know, well, rats have been accused, I should say, for spreading the fleas that caused the Black Plague all those centuries ago, which did wipe out like a third of Europe, I think. Um, although I will say there are theories that the rats may be innocent when it comes to that. And the um, 
the actual culprit isn't the the marmot. Uh, we probably we might talk about the Black Plague in the future and the animal you know relationships with animals that that are in that story. But if you don't want to wait till then, uh, last podcast on the left about a year or two ago did a really in depth series, like a five part series on the Black Depth on all aspects of it, not just the animals. Um, I recommend listening to that as well. Uh, they did it so well. It, the problem with last podcast is they do use topics so well, I'm very hesitant to cover them as well because I, they do a better job than I could. A, a similar story is with the um, USS Indianapolis sinking with the shark attacks, but I am going to do that one one day because it is so uh, such a famous story, but we, 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 we will cover that. So obviously rats impact more of human history, not just New York, uh, all through Europe, um, but also humans have a relationship with rats uh, that relates to the topic of torture. So within the annals of human history, a disturbing chapter reveals the depths of cruelty humanity can descend into, the gruesome practice of rat torture. This harrowing method, employed across cultures and centuries, exposes the darkest corners of the human nature where sadism and imagination intertwine. Exploring the origins, techniques, and psychological underpinnings of rat torture sheds a light not only on the historical barbarity, but also on the complexities of human behavior and our relationships with other species. In this next topic, we're going to talk a little bit about the chilling nature of rat torture, delving into the macabre world of the rat torture, unveiling its haunted secrets, and confronting the questions that it raise about human capacity for cruelty. So... The Rat Dungeon, or the Dungeon of Rats, was a feature of the Tower of London, alleged by a Roman Catholic writer from the Elizabethan era. It is, quote, a cell below high watermark and totally dark. It would draw in rats from the River Thames as the tide flowed in. Prisoners would have, quote, would have their, quote, alarm excited. I don't know what that means. Um and in some instances have flesh torn from their arms and legs. During the Dutch Revolt, Diedrich Sonroy, an ally, an, ally, an ally of William the Silent, is documented to have used a method where a pottery bowl is filled with rats and then placed, placed open side down on the naked body of a prisoner. When hot charcoal was piled on the bowl, the rats would gnaw into the very bowels of the victim in an attempt to escape the heat. Um, a similarly depiction of this was in Game of Thrones where they put a bunch of rats in a barrel and put, and strap it to a guy's chest and then they uh, light the end of the barrel on fire. I think they do it to, um, God, what's his name? The the sexy blacksmith kid, Gendry. Uh, Gendry? He uses the hammer. He bangs Arya in a really awkward scene to watch. Um, yeah, I think they tried to torture him with rats early on, but he was saved, I believe. Rat torture also appears in the famous case study of a patient of Sigmund Freud. Quote, the Rat Man, obsessed that his father and lady friend would be subjected to this torture. Rat torture was used by several South American military dictatorships. In Brazil, during the military dictatorship of 1964 to 1985, in Uruguay, during the civil military dictatorship of 1973 to 1985, in Chile, during the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet, from 1973 to 1990, in Argentina during the period of the National Reorganization project, pro Process from 1976 to 1983. The report from a Conadep and its Argentina, uh, sorry, the report of a Conadep and in Argentina detailed the use of a torture method known as the rectoscoped, 
reserved primarily for Jewish prisoners, which consisted of ins- oh Jesus, which consisted of inserting living rats into a victim's rectum or vagina through a tube. Amnesty International documented the case of a woman tortured by the Chilean CNI, National, National Information Center, successor of Dina, in 1981, who described, <laughs> who described being kept in a room full of live rats during the interrogation. Serial killer Richard Kuklinski, a.k.a. The Iceman, alleged in a series of interviews that one of his preferred methods of murder was to tie up a victim and leave them in a cave overnight so they could be eaten alive by live rats. He would also leave a Super 8 camera in the cave to film the events. Like many of Kuklinski's other claims, this has been disputed due to a lack of evidence. Uh, There's lots of interviews with Richard Kuklinski, a.k.a. The Iceman, where he talks about all this stuff, and yeah, he does seem to talk himself up a lot. A good clue for when you're listening to a serial killer to tell if they're lying is that if every time they tell a story, the details just get a little bit worse, a little bit more fucked up, and that's definitely the case with Richard Kuklinski. But he did claim that he liked to feed the uh, the victims to, to, the, to the rats, and in addition to enjoying it as a torture device and to kill them, uh, it got rid of the evidence too. He really He really liked that. On October 16, in 2010, in Lakewood, New Jersey, David Wax was alleged to have threatened to kid uh, sorry, was alleged to have threatened a kidnap victim named Israel Bisman with rat torture unless he agreed to give his wife a get, which is a type of Jewish divorce document. He was sentenced to seven years imprisonment for assisting in a kidnapping. As the war continues to evolve, so does our relationship between humans and rats. This intricate dance, shaped by fear, fascination, and cooperation, reflects the broader tapestry of human-animal interactions. By embracing empathy, knowledge, and innovative approaches, humanity can navigate this complex relationship, fostering a harmonious balance between two of the most uh, successful species who have been destined to share the same planet. And that is just a brief history on vermin and violence and rat attacks. Um, Obviously, we could talk about rats for, for honest for episodes. Um, not just in New York, in in London, in the rest of Europe, um, you know, in in poor places, the Black Death. There's heaps more in in uh, rat torture. This has been a very brief overview of the history of rats, but I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. And yeah, if you're from New York, really please do reach out to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what. If if it's true, if if the rat problem you have noticed to get worse, is it just a media thing where it's being hyped up that it's a problem? Um, and also, what's the biggest rat that you've seen in real life? We have rats here where I live in Newcastle. There are rats everywhere. They are one of the most successful species on the planet. I would go as far to say that rats and mice are probably the most successful mammals on the planet, probably apart from humans, depending on how you um how you view success. Uh, but they but they they, multi, they are insanely successful animals, super resilient, and like that quote said in the in the um, New York Times article that I was reading from, um, like they're gonna be here after all is said and done, after Russia nukes you guys and <laughs> we all blow up and it's nuclear winter, the rats are still gonna be here. They're gonna make it through. We might not make it through, but the rats and the cockroaches, they're going to be here for the long haul. So, yeah, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you're someone who... Um, oh, what was I saying? Yeah, we do have rats in Newcastle. Biggest one I've ever seen was a water rat near the harbour, um, but not nearly as large as some of the videos I've seen from New York on your subway. So, yeah, if you're if you're a New Yorker or from New Jersey or any of those places or anywhere, really, what's the biggest rat you've seen? Um, 
like, tell me your story. Is it really as bad as it seems to be in New York, or is it just like a kind of media frenzy? Or have you actually noticed that it's getting worse? Is this rat czar going to do a good job? Do you think? What's what? What do you know about the rat czar? The rat czar is not an official title, by the way. It's just something we've decided to call her. But I do like it. All right, we're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be back. Hopefully, you'll hear some ads. If you do buy the things, give me some money. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you afterwards. Go and have a wee. And we are back. Uh, guys, it is raining quite heavily now where I am, like torrential rain. Uh, I do apologize if you can hear it, but I, like I said, I, I do kind of like it. I'm a, I'm a big fan of a, a rainy day, a rainy night. Um, oh, really quickly, I want to just quick, just a really quick thank you um, uh, to everyone for the birthday messages. That was really sweet of you. Um, I didn't expect anyone to, to say that, so it was, that was really nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not going to go into more depth of that, but thank you. I had a great day. I did an escape room with my fiance. Um, oh, she got me these great uh, stickers for my laptop and for my car and stuff. And I don't want to like, I, I want to sponsor, I want to see if I can get these guys to sponsor the show because I love their products so much. Um, so I'm not going to tell you who they're from, but um, maybe next time. And maybe if they don't, I don't know, maybe I'll just say it anyway in the next episode. But yeah, fantastic stickers, very on brand for man eaters. Oh, and also she, my fiance made me this beautiful card, like a handmade card. It was on my Instagram. Um, I might actually upload it as an actual photo so you can still see it. Um, but yeah, gorgeous. Very on brand for man eaters as well. It's like a bear and a bear cub walking through a national park. Love that. Okay, guys, it is time to move on to our next segment, which is, of course, the Scratch of the Day. Scratch of the Day, of course, the segment where we look at news articles relating to animal-human contact, animal attacks, anything like that, and we read them out and we talk to them. I don't read them ahead of time. We're going to read them live on air, and we're going to discover it and learn some stuff together. So our first story comes from... Oh, okay. It comes from bloody old England. The BBC reports, two arrested after man hurt in Burlesum XL bully attack. I don't know what any of that fucking said. Well, let's, let's, let's read it. This is written by Oprah Flash. Great name. BBC News, West Midlands. Um, let's read it in a British accent and hopefully it doesn't get too sad that it makes it inappropriate. All right. A man, I'll do my best British newsreader. A man has been seriously injured by a dog, believed by police to be an XL bully. The animal attacked two other dogs at about 2100 GMT on Wednesday, and members of the public tried to intervene, said the Staffordshire force. A man suffered serious arm injuries and was taken to hospital. Two people have been arrested following events on Ellsgrave Street in Burlesome, Stoke-on-Trent. What the fuck is that address? Earlgrave Street in Burlesum, Stoke-on-Trent. What is Stoke-on-Trent? If you live in Stoke-on-Trent, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Sorry, no. If you, if you live on Stoke-on-Trent, um, let me know what that is. A woman, 22, from the city, and a man, 29, of no fixed address, remain in police custody. They were detained on suspicion of owning a dog dangerously out of control. The force said it contained the dog involved. It added, two dogs had also been seized by officers and taken to secure kennels. Anyone with information has been urged to contact the police. <laughs> there you go. Very good. Short, short but sweet story there. Um, American Bully XL added to a list of banned dogs. That's another... Uh, 
Is this recent? Let's have a look here. There's another story um, from four days earlier. American bully XLs added to a list of banned dogs in England and Wales. Oh, okay, so they will be. Here we go. American bully XLs are being added to the list of banned dogs in England and Wales, making it illegal to own one without an exemption from the 1st of February next year. From January, the dogs will also have to be muzzled and on a lead in public. There will be a longer deadline for owners to ensure dogs are neutered. It follows a number of attacks involving the breed, although owners insist the dogs, despite their appearance, do make lovable pets. From the 31st of December 2023, it will be against the law to sell, abandon, breed, or give away an American Bully XL, or to have one in public without a lead or a muzzle. I just burped. Very not British of me. If your dog is less than one years old on January 31st, 2024, it must be neutered by the 31st of December next year. If your dog is older than one year old on the 31st of January 2024, it must be neutered by the 30th of June. The guidance is similar to that issued for the four breeds which were banned under the Dangerous Dogs Act in 1991. The American Pitbull Terrier, the Japanese Tosa, Dogo Argentinos, and Fila Brasiliano. Bla Brazil Brasiliero. Published by DEFRA, the new rules also give details defining an American Bully XL, which is not a breed recognized by the Kennel Club in the UK. According to this, the dogs are a, quote, large dog with a muscular body and a blocky head, suggesting great strength and power for its size, powerfully built individual. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced that the breed would be banned following a series of incidents. These included the death of a man from a suspected attack by an American bully XL in Walsall on the 14th of September. Days earlier, an 11-year-old girl along with two men were attacked by an American bully XL in Bordersley Green in Birmingham. In 2021, 10-year-old Jack Liss died from severe neck and head injuries after he was attacked by an American bully XL in Carefilly. Carefilly? Sounds like maybe it's Welsh. His mother, Emma Whitford, has been calling for the dogs to be banned. I'm going to stop the accent because it's getting sad because people are dying. New guidance does not apply to those in Northern Ireland or Scotland. Both currently ban the Pitbull Terrier, the Japanese Tosa, Doggo Argentino, and Fila Brasiliaro. If the Scottish ministries agree, the ban will be adopted in Scotland. In Northern Ireland, a ban on an American Bully XL would require a separate change of legislation, either by a sitting assembly, an executive, or through the intervention by the North, Northern Ireland Secretary. Uh, that's probably all. It's a very long article. We don't need to read anymore. But there you go. Interesting. That dog has been banned and another person died since that ban has taken place. Uh, let's move on to another story now. I know we've got a lighthearted one coming up. Let's move on to this one. This is from Newsweek. This does involve the death of someone. A surfer has been killed by a 13-foot great white shark. Witnesses fear he grabbed him. This was reported on the 31st of October on Halloween, the day after my birthday. So not very long ago. A search is underway for the body of a man believed to have been killed by a shark while he was surfing. The 55-year-old surfer was attacked by a shark near Streaky Bay in South Australia at around 10.20am local time on Tuesday. The man was further out in the water than the other surfers off the beach at the time, many of whom witnessed the attack. Quote, He grabbed him, pulled him back down, brought him back up, pulled him back down again. 
one witness told local media 7 News. One of the surfers, Jeff Schmucker, Schmucker? That's an unfortunate name. One of the surfers, Jeff Schmucker, attempted to help the man, finding only a surfboard with a bite in it and a third with a bite in it and a 13-foot shark. Witnesses from the clifftops who saw the attack estimate the shark was more like 14 or 15 feet long, local 9 News reported. Quote, The man's body is yet to be found and the search will continue through to the day's end, South Australian police said in a statement. The exact species of shark involved in the attack has not been confirmed. However, Seven News shared a video of a large great white shark, also known as a white pointer, swimming in the area immediately after the attack. Great white sharks are the largest predatory fish in the world and grow up to lengths of 20 feet and can weigh up to 5,000 pounds. Great white sharks are apex predators, Kirsten Bilgman, a lecturer of biological sciences at Australia's Macquarie University, told Newsweek. Evolutionarily, they are a very old species, which means they have been in the oceans a very long time. These sharks are thought to have evolved between 4 and 10 million years ago and have remained the same ever since. The Florida Museum of Natural History's International Shark Attack File says there were 57 unprovoked shark bites on humans worldwide in 2022, nine of which were in Australia and 41 in the US. Between 2012 and 2021, Australia saw 143 shark attacks, resulting in uh, 20 fatalities. The attack may be due in part to the time of year, which is when seal pups are learning to swim and whales are found migrating through the area. Quote, That's a time when white sharks come in close and can be looking for those food sources, shark expert Andrew Fox told Nine News. This tragedy marks the third shark attack off the South Australian coast this year, only weeks after a woman was bitten in the leg while swimming, and a few months after a man was attacked and killed while surfing. And I think we covered that story a few months ago as well. The local community is distraught by the news of the fatal attack. Quote, I think people in Streaky Bay at the moment will be worrying a lot. It's a small town. Most people know everyone. Local resident Susie Kenny told ABC News Australia. It's a tight-knit surfing community. People look after each other out here. It's very sad. Obviously, thoughts go to the family of that person who's died. Hopefully, they find the body. That's a little bit of closure that can be brought in. Um, yeah, and uh, this was written by Jess Thompson, who's a science reporter for Newsweek. Okay, uh, final story. A little bit of levity. How about that? And bear with me, because when I start reading this, you're going to be like, what do you mean levity? Um, the headline reads, Child Traumatized by SeaWorld Animal Attack. This was written on the 29th of October, 2023. Um now, bear with me. It does have a happy ending, kind of. An animal attack at SeaWorld has left a child traumatized, according to a recent report. SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment is one of the largest theme park companies in the world, unique for its combination of marine life education and conservation and its industry-leading roller coaster technology. The American-based company owns multiple theme parks and water parks worldwide, including the Busch Gardens Tampa Bay, Adventure Islands Tampa Bay, Discovery Cove Orlando, Aquatica Orlando, SeaWorld Orlando, SeaWorld San Diego, Sesame Plain San Diego, SeaWorld San Antonio, Aquatica San Antonio, Discovery Point Sesame Place, Busch Gardens Williamsburg, Water County USA, and SeaWorld Abu Dhabi. There is also a SeaWorld in the Gold Coast in Australia that I've visited multiple times. Those SeaWorld theme parks are some of the most popular. They're also the most controversial. 
a documentary called Blackfish, released in 2013, shined a light on the company's treatment of one of its orcas, Tilikum, who killed three people during its lifetime at SeaWorld Orlando. Many animal lovers protested SeaWorld in the film's aftermath, led by the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, aka PETA. Unfortunately, SeaWorld theme parks are all too familiar with tragedy. In June, another killer whale bit a trainer at SeaWorld Orlando, breaking multiple bones. Many advocacy organizations have called for the release of captive orcas and questioned the theme park's company, sorry, the theme park company's treatment of its other marine animals, including dolphins. But one traumatizing animal attack wasn't carried out by one of the captive SeaWorld Park animals. This week, Reddit user underscore socks for Dobby <laughs> recalled a memorable incident with a seagull at one of the SeaWorld theme parks in 1991. <laughs> to say this with a straight face. The seagull ripped a churro out of the then five-year-old's hand. But it was a SeaWorld employee's behavior afterwards that upset the guest even further. <laughs> Quote, why Why is this a news story? Why is anyone publishing this this week? Okay. My dad hadn't even walked away from the churro cart yet, so he asked for a replacement, the guest explained. The guy, t- the guy told him he'd have to buy another, and I remember my dad saying, oh, come on. <laughs> and then everyone in the line telling the churro guy to just give the kid one, <laughs> another one. Everyone seemed... <laughs> Everyone seemed very annoyed that the guy had the nerve to charge us for another churro, they continued. And I agree. No, I, I didn't really want another one in, in case I was attacked again. But it was messed up that he was going to make my dad pay to buy another one. I'm traumatized by the attack, the guest wrote. I was five years old and sobbing as I clutched my dad's leg for shelter from the demon bird. <laughs> what the fuck? Why? Why is this published? Like, why did this person write this for this art for insidethemagic.com? <laughs> oh, there you go. Three stories done and dusted. Um, we're going to try something new now, guys. Uh, we're going to finish off our episode with a new segment, similar to when we did Man Eater Trivia. We're going to do Man Eater Fact or Fiction. I remember to put some little cool interstitial music in there. Uh, Man either fact or fiction. Each week I will ask you a question and I'm going to ask you if it's a fact or a fiction. Sound good? Uh, we'll start off with an easy one. And there is a quiz online. I'm going to do one, one per week. Here you go. The scenario is you find yourself face to face with a grizzly bear. You stand your ground, but the bear charges at you several times. Your best option is to run away. Is that fact or fiction? Lock it in. Tell me what you think. Okay. If you answered your best option is to run away, fact, you are incorrect. That is fiction. The correct answer is running away from an aggressive grizzly bear may trigger its chase response. Your safest option is to lie face down with your hands protecting the back of your head until the bear loses interest. Let's do one more. Let's do, let's do, let's do three. Why not? Okay. If you encounter a wolf that isn't afraid of humans, you should make yourself look bigger while throwing rocks or twigs near it to discourage it from coming closer. I am also going to try to do this live. I'm going to click 
fact. And that is the correct answer. The answer is, making sure there's no food lying around is the best way to prevent unwanted visits from any wild animal. If a wolf does approach you, don't feed it. Stand your ground and throw rocks or sticks near the wolf to scare it away. There you go. Let's do one more, folks. Let's see how you go. Your nature-loving friend got a little bit too close to a copperhead snake while photographing it, and it bit him on the leg. To increase his chances of survival, you should suck the venom out of the wound with your mouth. Is that a fact or a fiction? Should you suck the venom out of the mouth? I think it's a fiction. I think that, that is not currently what they ask you to do. It is a fiction. Correct answer. We'll do anything for our friends, but sucking or squeezing out snake venom should be not one of them. Removing venom this way increases risks of infection and can damage neurovascular tissue. Until help arrives, you should keep your friend calm and hold the wound below his heart to slow down the blood circulation near the snake bite. There you go. How'd you go? I was three for three for that. Three for three today. I hope you did all right as well. Uh, we're going to wrap up our episode fairly soon, but before we do, just wanted to give a couple quick shout-outs to some beautiful people. A couple people sent me some messages this week. Firstly, um, we had an update from uh, someone who sent an Instagram message uh, a week or maybe like two weeks ago. I'm going to pull it up just so I can remember the name and I don't get it wrong. Let's have a wee little look. Um, here we go. Yeah, it's Vice Official. You might remember this guy. He messaged me with one of my favorite messages ever, saying that a bear was attacking his fucking trailer, eating his trailer, he said. And uh, he wanted to send me some photos, and he did send me some photos. Uh, he sent me another um, <laughs> message. This guy's great. He goes, Jimbalaya, <laughs> which is my new favorite way to say my name. Jimbalaya. <laughs> Bears are going crazy in my town again. And he sent me a video. Um, <laughs> Of um, bears just wandering through the street. I um, I said back, he's they're just trick or treating, and he laugh reacted that. So there we go. And uh, another person sent me a great email. Uh, Sammy sent me an email to our Gmail, which is of course um, maneaters. What is it? Maneaterspod at gmail.com. Uh, he said, "Hey, I am listening to your cephalopods episode. Super funny, and I thought you might get a kick out of noodling." And he sent me a Wikipedia link, and we'll look at that in a second. Uh, maybe you've heard about it already. I don't know. The southern US is lawless, lol. There's just something about people jumping into the water and grabbing sea creatures, I guess. Great podcast. Started listening a couple days ago, and now I've listened to 30 episodes. It's so addicting. Sammy, that's such a lovely message to get. I really, really do appreciate it. I hope that you've noticed that as we've gone on, hopefully the episode's quality have improved. Um... I, some of the earlier episodes were a bit pooey, I think, but, you know, we, I was learning. This podcast was finding its feet. Um, I will say, in the new year, my plan is to redo some of the earlier episodes that we did, some of the ones that were, like, only 20 minutes long. I want to go into greater depth. So if you're listening, anyone, Sammy included, and there's an episode that you uh, think I could should go back and redo, I think, let me know. I'm thinking the Champawat Tiger, obviously, is a, is a no-brainer to do, but the Great Emu War... Uh, Harambe, some of the episodes that were really early on, I think I could do a deep dive on and redo them. So let me know if you're interested. Anyway, let's look at noodling that Sammy sent through. So <laughs> I have actually heard of noodling. Um, noodling is fishing for catfish using one's bare hands or feet and is practiced primarily in southern United States. The noodler places their hand or foot inside a discovered catfish hole in order to catch the fish. Other names for the same activity are used in different regions, primarily in the South and Midwest, and include hogging, dogging, grappling, grabbing, and tickling. 
The term noodling, although today used primarily towards the capture of flathead catfish, can and has been applied to all hand fishing methods, regardless of the method or species of fish caught. The origin of the term is unknown. I would assume it's because your finger is like noodles. Noodling, as a term, has also been <laughs> has also been applied to various unconventional methods of fishing, such as any which do not use bait, rod, and reel, spear gun, etc. But this usage is much less common. The term has also been applied to the similar capture for snapping turtles. Oh, man. Imagine sneaking, sticking your hand in a, what you think is a catfish hole, and it's a turtle. You get your toes or your fingers chopped off. Due to concerns over the safety of noodlers and the sustainability of fish populations, the technique is illegal in some states where it was once traditionally practiced. As of 2002, it was legal in some form in 14 states, sometimes with restrictions on the species or size of fish and on the specific methods that may be employed. The states in which it is legal in some capacity are Alabama, not surprised, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and the one that tricks the one that uh, surprises me, Wisconsin. That's not a Wisconsin thing. That's very north. Uh, anyway, it has since been legalized in Texas and West Virginia as well. There you go. I do know about noodling um, because, so in Australia, and uh, if you're an American, you're probably not going to know them. There are two very famous comedians named Hamish Nandy. They're a comedy duo. They have a great podcast too and a really great radio show. Um, they did a trip called Caravan of Courage, or sorry, they did a series called Caravan of Courage where they would drive in a caravan around countries and the first one was i think the u.s and one of the things that they did do was they went noodling so they basically like stuck their leg down a catfish hole and let the catfish suck on their toe and pull them out and it, pretty pretty awful looking thing to do but um nonetheless <laughs> americans you have such a great culture never let anyone tell you otherwise <laughs> except for all the racism it's a pretty pretty amazing thing um Okay, so that is going to do it for our episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent me messages for whatever reason. You can also do that um, via our social media. So patreon.com slash maneaters. That's where you can uh, sponsor the show. Maneaters at, uh, sorry, maneaterspod at gmail.com. You can send me an email like Sammy did. Also, we have Facebook, facebook.com slash maneaterspod. Instagram at maneaterspodcast. Or you can follow me personally jimothy chaps on instagram um that's gonna do it for a week i'm so glad you could join me today have a fantastic week and stay safe because as we've learned it's a jungle out there